This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is May 18th, 2021, and we're talking with Zach Zachariah about a topic that is generating considerable interest in the logistics and supply chain world, the physical internet. Dr. Zachariah co-authored an invited editorial with Eric Ballot and Benoit Montreal on the initial results and next challenges facing the physical internet that was published in the Journal of Business Logistics. He is an associate professor of supply chain management and director of the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh. He teaches graduate and undergraduate courses in supply chain operations management and logistics and transportation. Dr. Zachariah, welcome back to the Illuminate podcast. Thanks very much, Jack. Those who, who may be unfamiliar with the concept, what is the physical internet? So the physical internet uses the digital internet as a metaphor to help us rethink how logistics organizations could work much better. It brings this idea of universal interconnection of logistics services and networks. Okay, and how does that relate to the digital internet? And particularly, are there, there lessons we can learn from the way the digital internet uh, grew that Absolutely. would be applied to the physical internet? Absolutely. The digital internet um, has three main components, if you think about it. It has a set of protocols independent of the technologies that underlie those protocols, a business framework, and a mostly uh, independent, state independent governance body. So let's look at the protocols that really make the digital internet work, and then we can see how it relates to um, the physical internet. So one of the most famous protocols is called TCPIP, or Transmission Control Internet Protocols, which ensures that it doesn't matter whether you're connecting to the internet with a Windows machine, a Mac, Unix mainframe, the web page will look the same because the protocols tell the computer, uh, you know, how does it have to read that kind of information? And it's independent of the kind of technologies. So without those protocols, you cannot have a seamless exchange of information that's independent of the technology or the platform. And another thing to think about, because you have this protocol, you can have digital information as it moves from one location to another location, it can be moved seamlessly. For example, let's say you're sending a very large complex email, you could take that email and it'll get broken down into data packets that could potentially travel in different networks and get reassembled at the destination. So we're using that as a metaphor in the physical internet to think about ways that the freight can move across different uh, types of modes, you know, whether it's rail or truck or ship, and look at ways to make the exchange more efficient. Right now, there is a standard for ocean-going 40-foot containers worldwide and globally accepted info terms, but there really is no accepted standard for cardboard boxes or, or pallets. Uh, every major company uses their own design which means that it's not seamless. There's no way to easily transfer. So unless you have universal standards, you cannot have shared solutions and thereby 
you lose a lot of logistics efficiency when you're trying to interconnect these somewhat different uh, networks. And then there's also the Internet of Things. Does that tie into this in some way? Yes. So many people sometimes think of the Internet of Things as being part of the physical Internet, but they're much more distinct. The basic definition of the Internet of Things is that it connects physical objects to the digital Internet so that you can actually get some visibility into that particular product and some control. So the Internet of Things enables you in a way to facilitate the physical internet because you now know where those physical products are and maybe the environment around them, but it's distinct from um, the, the basic idea of a physical internet. Now in the invited editorial I mentioned at the top, uh, you state, and this is a quote, ultimately the physical internet will enable universal interconnectivity with any organization, anytime, and anywhere. Can you paint us a picture, so to speak, that shows us what universal interconnectivity looks like? Sure. And, and I think, you, you know, the, the simplest example is to go back to is the, is the digital internet. You know, the, the idea that you can be uh, across the world and look at something that is hosted in some other mainframe or some other computer system uh, somewhere else, because the information is exchanged across the network um, without, you know, uh, without any specific um, direct rules, because it's independent of the technology. So universal interconnectivity for digital uh, can also perhaps be looked at in the physical world. Wouldn't it be very cool if the freight logistics systems could share information so that you could exchange products, exchange freight, virtually seamlessly because now you know where that product is and you can um, you know get it from one location to another now let's be clear private networks already do this for example you get into the ups network or the fedex network they are seamless within the network because whether it goes you know from a fedex box to a truck to a plane and back to a rail car or another truck that's relatively seamless because they have developed and set up that process. The problem is that if you go outside the network, you don't have that kind of seamless exchange. And that's where there's sort of a lot of pain points, so to speak. So with universal interconnectivity, you could take a lot of the costs out of the system and thereby really improve the efficiency um, and effectiveness of the whole freight logistics system. And thereby directly um, reduce uh, carbon emissions, you know, improve sustainability. All right, now you call the physical internet, and another quote, a new paradigm for logistics networks. How disruptive will that new paradigm be to the way logistics networks have operated in the past and currently for that matter? Well, clearly the physical internet was able to be completely universally interconnected, there is going to be a significant disruption to the large companies that make their revenue from having proprietary networks. Because you know these proprietary networks are what people pay a premium to use. And, and there's a lot of built-in security. For example, you know if you're mailing a passport, uh, you're going to pay $20 to FedEx to mail it, even though you know, the post office could um, 
could mail that same passport for 55 cents, right? But you pay for that extra security. And FedEx has invested a lot of money in their system so that you can track the product when it enters their system and it can guarantee that it actually gets there. So now that they've paid all this money to do this, what are we going to give if we now say, hey, let's use their system, let's make it all interconnected. How is FedEx gonna get, you know, recoup some of their investments back? And what happens if there is a problem in the shipment now, if it part of the time it was in the UPS network, then went to a FedEx network and then went to another network, who is going to actually pay for damage? Where did it actually take place? So one of the things that you're gonna have is it is going to disrupt existing networks because we haven't figured out some of those aspects of making sure that you know, there's responsibility um, for any kind of damage and there's costs that people have already built uh, into their systems that you have to be able to sort of pay for uh, going onwards. You also talk about the need for concept proofing, pilot testing, experimentations and improvements to build trust and consensus about the way the physical internet designs protocols, interfaces, and tools. What are some of the specific examples that you think are helping to set the stage for widespread adoption? So there's a lot of um, research labs around the world that are actually working on these kinds of of issues, you know, how do we improve interconnectivity? Um, for example, they've already designed a, a container. So that's a 40 foot container that can be broken into eight specific sizes that allow you to handle, you know, ship products that vary from something that fits, you know, much more smaller, maybe a, a one foot uh, container all the way to the full 40 feet. What's unique about these containers is that they sort of fit together this idea of, uh, of Legos where you could, you don't necessarily need to have a container because these smaller versions module, they're modules, they fit together and become a larger single piece. The beauty of that is, is that you can now take that 40 foot container and now you're going into a different kind of transportation mode. You can take it apart and um, ship it on a specific mode that is more conducive to that particular um, design, so to speak. So. There is technologies on that. There are, are research projects that are looking at um, using uh, tunnels to sort of uh, the, the pneumatic tube system where freight can travel at much, much higher speeds in through this pneumatic tube. And, and they've actually tested this. I think the, this, the, the tunnel is about a mile long, but they were able to show how quickly they could move freight um, because of course the G-forces are, are not there. And that could be some way to get products um, within, you know, uh, from one city to another very efficiently, uh, you know, without a, using surface kind of transportations. So there's a lot of uh, technology that's looking at how can you, um, you know, get these products and freight moving. The other part of that is, is that how can you share information so that you can actually identify those places where there are inefficiencies? Uh, one of the things that we always think about, and we know here in the US, for example, 20% of all trucks are traveling empty. But if you had a good information systems and if the logistics companies work together, then you could ensure that you fill the truck up to the full amount and um, you don't have trucks traveling empty. So again, there is a, this kind of research work is being done and hopefully, as these become more and more efficient and they 
start to get more real applications, um, companies will start to adopt it. And this will lead to this idea of, as you said, a widespread adoption of some of the things that would make this process more efficient. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talked about disruption um, and your answer to this, this last question made me wonder, you know, the trucking industry in particular, you were talking about, you know, kind of the, the you know, dead end um, loads that they carry now. What will the effect be, you know, as far as you can predict on the trucking industry when the disruptions and the physical internet, you know, finish shaking out? I mean, that's, that's an excellent question. The, the, the point is, is that, you know, if you're uh, a truck driver and, you know, um, there is well over half a million uh, truck driving companies in the U.S., but uh, something like 98% of them are with trucks, uh, you know, truck companies with less than 10 trucks, meaning a lot of them are just individual driver owner operators. Um, so if you could figure out a way for them to not have to travel empty, that what you referred to about deadheading, um, then they would actually gain some efficiency. So, but then there might be a whole bunch of other things that they, they have to take into account that they have to now adopt uh, to make it, you know, technology, there's additional costs, you know, when they went to those electronic notebooks, um, the larger companies had no problem getting, you know, agreeing to those things, but the owner operators were very concerned because that was extra money that they had to set aside. And also they couldn't get around the system. Now you could track exactly how many hours people are actually driving. So, um, I think that if you can show the benefits, you know, um, then you are going to see more companies and more people willing to to adopt these kinds of uh, technologies. Um, and and you know, this this is always that case where when people start to see that there's a benefit, then they're going to be more likely to try and adopt some of these things. Now, Lehigh Center for Supply Chain Research works with numerous uh, businesses and corporate clients uh, developing innovative solutions to supply chain and logistics issues. Um, and that kind of collaboration between industry and academia seems to be one of the keys to growing the physical internet. So what, what's happening on that front? Well, you know, it, you're absolutely right. Uh, we, for the Center for Supply Chain Research, actually talk to our member companies and talk to the executives to give us good ideas to research. And there's a couple of research projects where looking at right now, uh, one that uh, the executives are talking about some of the issues they're dealing with, uh, the shortage in labor um, to for their warehouses and um, for some of the manufacturing that they're involved in. And also how COVID has changed some of the relationships um, between buyers and suppliers. We got this idea that, uh, you know, when COVID first hit for the first uh, three or four months, many of the buyers and suppliers waived the contractual requirements because they realized they were all sort of in it together. And so there's, there's that kind of research um, that we're working on. Now, to your specific question, when you talk about the physical internet, there really seems to be a large, uh, a real difference in how different parts of the world are focusing on the physical internet. The largest sort of government research or government investment is actually going on in Europe. Um, where they actually have a specific um, research uh, a project called ALICE, which stands for Alliance 
for logistics innovation through collaboration in Europe. And it uses, you know, uh, uses 2050 as a target date to, uh, to try and bring this about, but they spend a lot of money in funding this kind of, kind of uh, research. So that's sort of where um, they are trying to put money in to bring more of these kind of interconnectivity ideas to the forefront. As part of the journal article that um, you, you were co-author of, um, you also did a review of research, uh, recent research in the field looking at the physical internet. So I'm wondering what were some of the most interesting trends or possible game changers you found during that review? So, you know, again, this goes back to that idea of, of uh, new research techniques. And, and um, one thing, for example, there's a lot of research going on in terms of uh, autonomous vehicles and interconnected autonomous vehicles that sort of travel as a platoon. Um, again, the physical internet is ways of moving this freight and reducing this seamless transfer. So if you can figure out a way to do it autonomously, then there would be a good way to uh, you know, have these autonomous vehicles work together. That was a, an interesting research project. I talked to you about this, uh, the idea of uh, tunnels for um, high-speed freight. Mm. Um, and another thing that they're looking at is, is there's a lot of work using, you know, collecting this data and seeing how you can actually look at, you know, um, mapping out what's going on in terms of these networks and mobile networks that we, that we have. So um, there is, again, ways to move products efficiently so that if you can sense it, you can let people know where there's going to be a problem up front whether you need to divert shipments, you know, a uh, lot of simulations are going on to be able to, to identify these kind of bottlenecks and, and be able to, you know, um, route the, uh, move the freight around those kinds of areas. The other thing that people are doing at is looking for ways to improve efficiencies just in terms of utilization. Uh, you know, we talked about truck utilization, warehouse utilization is, is another factor, uh, again, because logistics companies invest in their own warehouses and there are many times where they have to, you know, it's not always full because they don't know what the demand is. And so we've had simulations that people are working on that shows that if you could share that information where it's empty, um, then you could actually, again, improve the efficiency of the entire network. But it goes back to this idea of, uh, of interconnectivity. Right, and that brings to mind one of the, the interesting things I noticed in uh, the paper was uh, an example with sea containers um, where they were able to take what had initially been patented, which was the twist lock, modify it and open it to all. And I'm wondering, what, first of all, if you could explain what happened there a little more and then, you know, are there, there are lessons we could learn for all of the other kinds of containers and ways that we move freight? That's, that's a great question, Jack. Uh, so what's interesting there is, is that when you patent something and you create um, you know, a cost associated with it, businesses sometimes are willing to pay for the patents or look for ways around it. And when you want something to be ubiquitous, to be used everywhere, um, sometimes putting a patent on it or at charging cost actually reduces the effectiveness. And, and I think, uh, you, you know, we talked about the digital internet. One of the things was that if it had just, if there was a cost associated, 
with every single one of the innovations that were going on when they were developing the digital internet, then it never would have, it really wouldn't have taken off. Because they, they tried, even when the digital internet started, they tried to develop proprietary networks, but then people had to pay a certain license fee and things like that. It, it didn't necessarily survive. So the freight lock is a good example of where they, you know, if it was uh, always patented and every container needed to have it, there'd be a good chance that containers would not have taken off as much as they did. So that was a good example of where you need to be able to allow some of that sharing so that you can actually get something that's used, used everywhere. And so um, when we look at the, the physical internet, you have to look at some ways to share. And actually, one thing that I didn't mention, but it's critical to sort of understand, and maybe it goes back to this idea of, uh, you know, what are some things that are stopping the physical internet? Well, it, it's actually people issues, really, when you think about it, because human beings at the end of the day, you know, do they trust that they're going to be able to get some of their money out, that they are going to be able to share this information now that they, you know, we have this network that we could actually all work together. So I'm glad you brought up the Twistlock example because once you, you know, it, it made it very easy um, to lock these containers. You got to imagine that in a, uh, a large uh, ship that carries these massive, you know, 10,000 containers or more, you need an easy way for a container to just sort of flip on top of each other and lock in place and very easy to unlock and, and lock. And, and that's what the twist lock did because, you know, you now have a ship that comes with 10,000 containers and a person can unload those containers about one every 30 seconds, essentially two every minute. And that's because it's so easy to lock and unlock. And, and that's how, if you didn't lock it, you can't have these containers stay stable when you go across, you know, imagine the ocean. So that's a great example of an innovation that really enabled the much more quicker interchange, which is um, this idea of that seamless way of freight to move from one mode to another. That is really critical for the success of the physical internet. The idea of sustainability, um, you know, again, going back to the paper, there, there's a point where it talks about how the physical internet paradigm appears particularly suited to the needs of reducing the environmental footprint, as well as improving agility and other things. But that, that, that's an interesting idea. Can you talk a little about what this concept means, you know, as, as it moves forward in terms of improving the environmental footprint of supply chain and logistics? Basically, the idea is, is that, you know, you, you've got to take that example that I gave you where the 20% of the trucks are traveling empty. Right. A significant percentage of warehouses are standing empty because it's waiting for that extra demand. You know, we use this idea of safety stock. We talk about supply chain and safety stock is extra inventory that you have to ensure that you could meet um, demand that could be, it's much, much above and beyond what is uh, normal or stable demand. And so what, um, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, transportation, freight transportation, the logistics industry is almost the second uh, largest producers of carbon dioxide. And so therefore, if you can figure out ways so you have less trucks on the road, if you have need for less uh, warehouses, and if you can improve it, we, we have data 
and you've actually done these simulations where if you started to use those the, the trucks more efficiently, the networks more efficiently, you can have a significant impact, something the order of about 20% reduction in uh, carbon dioxide, you know, yeah. uh, improvement in fuel efficiency and all of these kinds of things, uh, you know, ocean going freight, um, those, those ships pump out a lot of uh, carbon gas, you know? Um, and so when you think about it, if you can make those processes more efficient, it is much, much more sustainable. And that was one of the original reasons that the physical internet was proposed because um, of all this built-in inefficiencies that you have when people have their own networks, their own warehouses, their own trucks, and you know, they, there's no sharing of that empty space that you actually have. Are there any other difficult challenges you see standing in the way of broader implementation of the physical internet at this point? Well, and let me just again re-emphasize re that it's the human issues um, that really stop. You know, um, if we can figure out a way that we can get more people believing that they're going to get their investments back out of it, there's greater trust, there's greater sharing and willingness to share. And um, that would make some of these kinds of technological issues sort of fall down. I think it's the, the people issues that are more stronger barriers than the technical issues that, that are stopping uh, the physical internet from becoming more of a reality. And you had mentioned uh, Alice, I believe it was, had estimated 2015 or, or 2050 um, or set that as a target date by which they hope to have the physical internet up. And I'm wondering what your idea of that prediction is. Does that seem overly optimistic? Does it seem about right or? Well, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's overly optimistic, you know, that's uh, well over almost 30 years from now. Right. Um, I, I do imagine that we are going to go through uh, several iterations of this so that we can get, you know, figure out ways to, to share that information so that we can improve the interconnectivity between the different kinds of networks. So, um, you know, I think Alice, um, they, they just went a little further out ahead because they they didn't want to deal with specific issues that are happening, you know, right now. They want to think about how can these different companies, how can these different transportation companies, warehouse companies, logistics companies, all sort of work together and share um, maybe even just their empty spaces so that, hey, you know, instead of going on, uh, look, I'm, I'm shipping this product. And if you have some product that's much, you know, higher volume, you know, there's a great example where, um, you were shipping, for example, uh, chips, which is very light, but takes up a lot of space. So potato chips, for example, and then you've got a, another company that is perhaps um, shipping um, soap. This actually was uh, um, Tide was, was, the, was the product. And so you just imagine that Frito-Lay and um, you know, Procter & Gamble got together and you put Tide in for the, the heavy weight, but didn't necessarily have a lot of space on top. And then you had chips, you know, uh, a full truck, um, 40 foot truck can fit 9,000 pounds of chips, which means that, you know, essentially 31,000 pounds of capacity is wasted. Well, in the same sense, you put a, put a lot of Tide, uh, you know, soap liquid in there, then you're gonna have some empty space on the top. Here's an example of where if they could actually get together and use both of their kind of strengths in this point, they could actually reduce the total cost of transportation 
improve sustainability. So those are the kind of examples that they've already tested and they've shown it worked. But for this to become ubiquitous, there are going to be some challenges and probably 2050 is might be the, you know, the goal to get this thing done. Finally, is there anything I haven't asked you about? We've covered a lot of territory here today, but anything I haven't asked you about that you think our listeners should know about the physical internet? I think you've you've covered uh, all, all the, the key issues. I guess one final thing that I, I guess I, I should say that, you know, when you talk about innovation, um, and, I, and I, I neglected to mention when I talked about the digital internet, that the one of the reasons it really took off was not just the protocols, but it was an independent, state independent kind of governance. So it was actually done by innovations at the, at the local level, as opposed to mandated from somewhere on top. And I think we never really got into it, but for these mm-hmm. kinds of large societal changes like the physical internet, there's a real need for that kind of innovation, uh, independent of sort of a state authority to be able to make these kinds of innovations stick so that it could benefit us all. So that would be my final point. Dr. Zachary, it's been a most informative conversation as always. Thanks very much, Jack. Okay. I want to again thank our guest, Zach Zachariah. As director of the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh, Dr. Zachariah and the faculty and students at Lehigh Business are generating new ideas for education and future knowledge in the field of supply chain management. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh Business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.